0: can't go on. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on October the 9th, 2012. For newcomers, as always, I suggest you go into cuttingthroughthematrix.com and make good use of this site. There's well over a thousand audios for free download where I go into the past, I bring the past to the present, to show you're living through a script, a script designed a long time ago by those who pretty well owned a good chunk of the planet and lots of its resources, and how they decided to take over the rest of it too, using foundations as their fronts, basically, which would employ armies of lobbyists and politicians. And they formed the United Nations to be the umbrella group, of course, the big the big you kind know, of formal world, world government idea, with its umbrella organizations underneath it, to bring in this new global society. Science was to rise to the top to manage us all in a scientific manner. And uh, it's been written about long, long time ago by the Fabian Society, another branch really of the Rolling Institute for International Affairs, that the Fabian Society pretends to handle the left wing. And they're really into the scientific dictatorship idea. Uh, Huxley talked about it, so did Lord Bertrand Russell. And they said that the scientific tyranny would be more of a tyranny than any that ever previously had existed, any other kind of tyrannies. But he favored it nonetheless. And that's where you're going into. We're managed, you see. This is the age of world managers. And uh, we have them so many of them and so many organizations running us all our lives minutely uh, that you can't even keep up with them. There's so many getting well financed by the foundations. So help yourself to that. Find out how the whole system works. Find out that nothing happens by chance. Wars are planned many, many, many years ahead. And uh, the boys at the top literally see the world as a big long-term business project. That's how it's run by professionals. Number two, you're the audience that bring me to you. I don't bring all of our advertisers as guests. I don't uh, get cash from advertisers. I don't um, get money from any products sold outside of my own website, which is just the, the books and the discs that I sell to keep me toddling along. So if you want to keep me going, you can buy the books and discs at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com, and you can also donate as well because that's really uh, the best thing to do in these austere times. Uh, And from the U.S. to Canada, remember, you can still use personal checks or international postal money orders. You can send cash or use PayPal across the world, Western Union, MoneyGram, and PayPal. Remember, straight donations are really, really awfully welcome. And as I say, it's just an amazing thing to, to see people here and there who start to catch on that something's awfully wrong for the first time. They tend to panic and then they run off to find out who's got all the information on it. And then they panic all the more. And they don't know how to handle it because they've never grown up understanding this system. Uh, it's been here your whole life. It's been here before, and your parents uh, when they were born and before they were born. Uh, even when your grandparents were alive, this system was in play uh, with the rich men of the world running the whole system. Because the big organization that started it all became known as the Council of Foreign Relations in America and across other parts of the world. And it's called the Royal Institute for International Affairs in Britain or London, I should say. Uh, they have run the world for a hundred years. And they plan to get on with it too. And they recruit in every generation their own type to carry it on. You have to go into their sites and make good use of them. Just go into the Rockefeller Foundation and look at every aspect of environments, population reduction, everything you can imagine. They've got ongoing studies. They pay scientists across the planet, universities across the to do studies, continuous studies to do with us and how to control us. It's all about that, ultimately. And depopulation. Now, That's the music coming in, so I'll go on with the stories, which will connect with what I'm talking about tonight after these messages. Hi folks, I'm back, we're cutting through the matrix you don't realize how much psychological tinkering you've had your whole life long uh, through your education process and how many uh, little questionnaires has been handed to you so they can really get your whole personality down on pat, basically. And they claim that these things are pretty accurate as to how you're going to end up in the different traits that you have, all that kind of stuff. That all came out again of the, the eugenics movement that was tied at the hip with uh, psychiatry at that time. And, uh, now they have the geneticists themselves attached to the whole thing so you have uh, neuroscientists uh, psychologists psychiatry all involved in the same thing because uh, it's their job now to, to make sure we're all uh, well the ones really who, who are possibly going to be criminals and possibly going to be a, a nuisance to the state they, they won't be well behaved should be eliminated at birth we know that from the articles I've read just over the last couple of days they're talking about all of that removing genes from sperm and ovum to create the, the perfect kind of morons that will be happening. In this world system Run by their betters And they use test uh, countries For all these different things Scotland's one of the main ones For their testing of all this This Fabian technique Because the Fabians talked about that When they started up their organisation A long time ago uh, Founded by the the money from the Astor family Lord Astor And uh, Lord Astor also was helped in With the Royal Institute for International Affairs At that time it was a Milner Group But um Here's an article here. I read it last year, by the way, but this is interesting. It ties in with what's been happening lately with all the talk now to uh, modify us you know, before we're even born. But it says Scottish toddlers are to be tested to see if they will grow up to be drug addicts or criminals. This is a law, folks. And it says the children aged between 24 and 30 months will be examined to determine their capacity for violent crime, uh, drug abuse and mental illness when they're older. Health officials will look for emotional and behavioural problems under the scheme, which is launched in Glasgow this year, it says. The move comes amid growing concern that those most at risk of developing violent tendencies or chronic addictions are not being identified early enough. Experts, you know these experts again, hope that the, the Healthy Child programme, they call it Healthy Child, will help tackle violence, levels of violence and drug abuse in Glasgow, which are amongst the world's worst in the world. Dr. Phil uh, Wilson, a GP, a practitioner, a GP, doctor, who is part of a working group behind the project, said one of the really worrying things is that on the overall measures of child well-being that UNICEF publishes, it's from the United Nations, of course, Scotland is bottom of the League of Developed Countries, because they've been kept in utter poverty all these years, that's why the, the bottom folks, <laughs> there's no work left there. Under the scheme, health workers will compete, uh, complete a questionnaire with parents to establish if their children are aggressive, bullying, spiteful, and if they lie or cheat. If they do, they might get a job in politics. Toddlers will also be checked for poor grasp of language, which can indicate problems such as attention deficit disorder. The parents of those who've fallen to the at-risk group will be offered support. it also drug the children, of course. Glasgow uh, Scottish National Party MSP Sandra White said she was concerned that children could be pigeonholed. Well, that's exactly what they're going to do with it, folks. Birth to death, they wanted to do this to... She said, we're looking at a stage of development when young children do misbehave and are prone to tantrums. I'd be worried that young children will be labelled unnecessarily and unfairly. But Dr. Wilson, a senior lecturer in infant mental health at Glasgow University, defended the scheme. He said, it's important that this program is seen as an exercise in giving children the best chance. understand how it's all perception management, what they want to do to you. See how the children can give them the best chance. Senior health officials warn that only a small minority of people with antisocial or behavioural problems are picked up by health or social services as young children. Long-term studies have found links with poor mental health and preschool children and violence in later life. And then they pop into the Swedish study that's shown that children of 30 months who could not put two words together and who had a vocabulary of fewer than 50 words had a 70% chance of being of having a psychiatric diagnosis. Well, I know children today all across America and Canada that are lucky to have 50 words even put together, and it's getting worse all the time, like linguistic minimalism. And, and then this article here too. Is, uh, did the same thing, Glasgow Parenting Support Framework Evaluation uh, Implementation of Public Health Approach to Parenting Support in Glasgow With its National Health Service Infrastructure It's just all about the National Health Service is all in cahoots with UNICEF on this And the, and America, the US is going to go into its national health system This is what it's all about It's nothing to do with a, a, a better system for the people uh, so, so they can monitor you, to you exploit you uh, Stick a lot of needles in your arms And give you drugs and all that kind of stuff and label people as uh, potential future problems. It says, We aim to establish the effectiveness of the Glasgow Painting Support Framework. The main part of the research is assessing the emotional and social well-being of children from 30 months to the age of 10, using the Strengths and Difficulties questionnaire. Now, there's another problem they have that takes over from that and goes on for the whole of your life, by the way. But I put these, uh, and trust well about the data collection that they've got as well on all of this. And every child is going to have all their data day by day stuck into this computer system. Great stuff eh that 's coming to be worldwide. you understand this is a test bed for worldwide stuff and Sarkozy was even involved in the setting up of the system in Britain and we all remember for some of us remember the new American century crew there was a double speak to hide something people A lot of folk had dual citizenship that were all around Bush jr. A lot of them were had dual citizenships with the U.S. and Israel. That was well known as in all the press, et cetera, et cetera. And so naturally they were all for uh, for for Israel first, in other words, too. But Romney, Norm, it seems that Romney, this is a Foreign Relations CFR article, by the way, but he is going through the same stuff, and because that's his job. Not that Obama hasn't. Obama simply took over the New American Century, and uh, he, he took out a few countries and started up another one ready to fall as well and in will come the next uh, night in shining armour when you're fed up with Obama, and it's the same thing all over again, the new American century group behind Romney. It says, can, can Romney put foreign policy in play, it says. CFR, in the first foreign policy speech, following his momentous uh, getting, uh Uh, debate against Obama GOP presidential nominee Mitt Romney expanded on his vision of an American century there you are a new American century a view he tied to the legacy of leaders like General George Marshall as he outlined a muscular moral US foreign policy with American exceptionalism at its core which means nothing at all Romney aimed to distinguish his worldview from the president's, that's Obama's, as he has in the far lower-profile foreign policy speeches, promising to change course in the Middle East by helping to provide arms to Syrian rebels. Well, Obama's already doing that. And t- uh, talking and acting either, even tougher on Iran. Well, you have, you have to do that because he went over to Israel to get the kiss of Netanyahu, and that was in the mainstream papers. See, that's who's backing them all. He says, it's the responsibility of a president, Romney said Monday, at the Virginia Military Institute to use America's great power to shape history, not to lead from behind, leaving your destiny at the mercy, mercy of events. That's exactly what they said with the New American Century Group. Unfortunately, this is exactly where we find ourselves in the Middle East under President Obama. He says, we've, uh, Mrs. Romney wove together a constellation of tumultuous events in the Middle East, uh, and he said has left the risk of conflict in the region higher now than the, when the president took office. And he promised what amounted to a middle ground between uh, George Bush's activist freedom agenda. Freedom agenda was also called revolutionary democracy, where you go and invade them and you force democracy on them. That's what they've been doing. And the pragmatic and downsized ambitions of an America exhausted and depleted by two wars in one decade, never minding Gulf War One. It was a continuation of Gulf War One. It was like 20 odd years. So anyway, it's the same old thing, so that the, the New American century is back in the saddle. And there's some interesting things too. I'll put up one from veterans today. They really bash uh, uh, the guys who are behind Romney as well, and say much the same thing. It's the same bunch uh, in behind Romney. And they do mention a few things. A lot of people won't like this article, but they do mention a few things. What's the worst is they control most of the United States federal court system, mainstream media, and are running a campaign of presidential candidate Mitt Romney is Romney's top foreign policy advisor Rabbi Dov Zakem, one of the leading suspected hands-on designers and controllers of the Israeli and in, 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 instigated 9-11 false flag operation. On May 4, 2001, Zakem was appointed comptroller of the Pentagon, that's where they handle all the cash and budgets, where he proceeded to lose at least $2.3 trillion, a sum that's amounting to more than five times the Pentagon's annual budget. CIA whistleblower Susan Linder says the actual sum is $9.1 trillion. On Monday, September tenth, two 2001, Pentagon Chief Donald Rumsfeld announced that $2.3 trillion had gone missing from the Pentagon. And the link for that is up on YouTube as well. You can actually see them. I'm talking about that at the time. They're all saying about this announcement, but behind the, the sum was its actual timing. It was the first time and last time that any significant political figure has ever chosen to announce major bad news on a Monday, <laughs> which is true, they always do it on a Friday, then you forget about it. And um, then you've got about Rumsfeld, too, uh, mentioning about uh, all the cash they lost, etc., etc., and what it's doing now. But the same bunch, in other words, they're getting at this running uh, behind Romney as it was between behind Bush Jr. That's what they're getting at. The International Monetary Fund uh, was to be the big heavy boy, uh, a heavy someone who's a debt collector and uh, for the money boys. That's generally what they have. And it was set up, again, by the Royal Institute for International Affairs. They're the boys who came out with the idea of a a world bank, which we have, of course. And they, they also had a bank for international settlements, which would be the big meeting place and coordinator for all the private central banks that would run the world, which they have that too. And the International Monetary Fund would be the big debt collector and heavy. It would come to countries that were defaulting because they were broke. And the IMF would then run that country behind the scenes until some of it was paid off. Even during Thatcher's reign, the IMF came in and actually dictated a lot of the British policy at the time. So the IMF now, these unelected institutions, uh, uh, cuts growth forecasts for the UK economy. The International Monetary Fund has slashed its growth forecast for the UK, predicting the economy will shrink by 0.4% this year. Now, with them doing this, of course, <laughs> since they're already borrowing money like crazy to, to, to lend to the Euro Central Bank, to throw away at Spain and Italy and elsewhere, uh, they're going to pay massive compound interest on this one, high interest rates. That's what it does when they downgrade you. The banks are running the whole show. Back with more after this. Hi, folks, I'm back. We're cutting through the matrix. And this article, two leading world's bank demographer vaccination campaigns are part of population reduction policy. That's official, folks. Reduction policy. I'll I'll repeat that for the harder thinking. Population reduction policy. American undergraduates recruited for population control agenda as the UN raises the stakes, it says. Neo-eugenicist John Seeger to undergraduates said this. You're the ones who are going to be able to move this forward and complete what I see as one of the great social movements of our time. as convincing the public that they've got to die, you know. A recent biannual report released last week by the United Nations Population Fund and the links on here too, that's the UNFPA. The projection for global population growth in two thousand fifty has been raised with an additional one hundred and seventeen million people on top of the earlier projection of eight billion people. As the UN keeps up the pressure, an effort is underway to flood universities and colleges throughout the United States with population control propaganda. One of the people doing the rounds across academic America is former EPA Chief. George John Seeger. See, they're all into the see, they're an environmental protection agency, environmental groups and so on. We're all part of the same agenda under camouflage. Understand that. It's all eugenics. It's all eugenics, folks. Anyway, it says, who now heads up an organization called Population Connection dedicated to the selling of human population reduction? On October 3rd, 2012, Pennsylvania State University provided a stage for Sigur President of Population Connection, an organization promoting the culling of the overall human population. Accepting an invitation by the Institute of Environmental Studies, Sigur attempted to convince a hall filled with undergraduates of the need to bring down the population for sustainability purposes. In an October 4 article titled Lecture, Expose, explores population control issues. The Daily Pennsylvanian Reports Population Connection aims to inform no less than 3 million K-12 students throughout the United States about this issue and to lobby Congress to garner support for international family planning. About 98 to 99% of all the population growth is happening in generally very poor places that are very far away from America, Seeger told the Daily Pennsylvanian. And to bring this issue to your advantage, uh, uh to advantage uh, American is a, a very hard challenge. What he means the average American is a hard challenge to get through with them. The man who extended the invitation, Stanley Laskowski, uh, re- explained why he attra- uh, attracted Seeger to lecture population growth is the root of all environmental problems, and his insight into the issue at hand is invaluable. This is exactly the idea Singer is promulgating across the USA. As a former EPA chief appointed by the Clinton administration in the mid-90s, Singer has found an eager audience in the establishment academic scene. During one of his recent lectures held at the Nicholas School of Environment, he stressed that the man is the foremost enemy to the planet. That's straight out of the the agenda in the book from... uh, The Club of Rome, where they said they were given the task of finding a reason to unite the whole planet. And they said that uh, eventually they dreamed up the idea the global warming, famine and plague and the the like would uh, fit the bill. And the global population should be curbed towards what he calls sustainable levels. And speaking of the UN's population projection for the next decades, which will have the human population at eight billion by 2050, Sigurd from 35 minutes onward stresses that this, if we move, if we move to that low line on the UN projection, in my view, the best possible outcome in terms of human population growth through voluntary programmes, it would be the biggest single slice of the carbon pie. It would do more than household miles per gallon cars. It would do more than that. He states that technological solutions to CO2 emissions will not be sufficient to prevent global climatic Armageddon. They're always on about this, you know, these big uh, prophets of gloom and doom. But they have to terrify the public. I've read all the articles from these top guys before where they say they have to always scare the public with scary scenarios and vastly overestimate things to get us to listen to them. Anyway, Tim Dyson at the London School of Economics found that if we reduce our carbon footprint by 1% a year in the developed world over the next 40 years, 100% of what is wiped out by, uh, by population growth, it says. So he argues the birth rate in developing countries should be drastically reduced. This is a global consensus in the scientific community today. Whatever we do to diminish our carbon footprint in the developed world, only a thorough culling of the third world population will make sure the Earth has a chance of survival. And it was on and on and on. So uh, don't think it's just over there, folks. It's happening to you at home as well, that this, the cancer rates are skyrocketing, and disabilities, too, are skyrocketing with all injections and so on, and the poisoned food that you've been made to eat. And this article ties in with it. Hillary Clinton says, Population control will now become the centerpiece of U.S. foreign policy. During remarks she made for the 15th anniversary of the International Conference on Population and Development, U.S., I'll read that again, International Conference on Population. They've had these for about 100 years, folks. They're not just sitting making that wish list. They, they implement them. U.S. Secretary of State Hillary Clinton announced the launch of a new program that, according to Clinton, will now become the centerpiece of U.S. foreign policy. This new program is known as the Global Health Initiative and has been incredibly well funded at a time when the U.S. government is drowning in debt. According to Clinton, $63 billion will be spent by the U.S. to prevent pregnancies and to improve what they call family planning services around the globe over the next six years, abortions and so on. In other words, the new centerpiece of U.S. foreign policy is all about eugenics and population control. he's the following from Clinton's remarks. He says, in addition to new funding, we've launched a new program that will be the Centerpiece of Foreign Policy Global Health Initiative, which commits us to spending $63 billion over six years to improve global health by investing in efforts to reduce maternal and child mortality. How do you do it? By stop them having children, folks. Prevent millions of unintended pregnancies and avert millions of new HIV infections, amongst other goals. I wonder what the other goals are as well. Back with more on this after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, we're back, Cutting Through The Matrix and I'll put up this article with all the rest of these articles tonight at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com all the links up for you to uh, look up to yourself it also has a whole bunch of YouTubes to watch to do with depopulation as well and how the this eugenic uh, movement has been on for a long, long time where the real goals are and all the rest of it is quite something it's interesting too that Hillary Clinton has either gone across the world convincing other countries to go and slaughter other people in the Middle East or she's wanting to slaughter all the children that could be born. So it's just, well, what can you say, folks? I mean, that's fact, you know. That's facts. You know, you'd, you'd have to get in the mindset of these people. If you did, it would be, be awfully strong if you could possibly emerge with, unscathed by the, the weird thoughts that go on in their heads. Also tonight, I'll put up a link to the man who sailed Island, uh, Iceland, basically, or he changed Iceland. And he was a guy who got the big... Um, uh, marches going and so on to chuck all the, the, the big gangs of crooks, the international crooks out uh, of their country. I'll put that up tonight too He's going around uh, Europe right now Giving lectures on how to do the same thing hope people take advantage of what he's saying And try to use it Because I'm so sick of watching folk Getting their heads bashed in with cops In different countries now It's the new normal It's the real face of the real owners of you Under all the farce and guises of democracy Or whatever they want to call it As they emerge See everything comes down to brute force You're really run by brute force Or the threat of it That's what law is about Intimidation through a law, uh, followed up by the, the by brute force. So the threat of force and then brute force, as the big boys show how just ca- how caring they really are and how evolved to become. Your big leaders at the top behind the scenes, those who own you lock, stock and barrel, and always have, by the way. <laughs> and. This article too is interested in veteran, veteran law enforcement officials lawsuit charges lesbian homeland security secretary Janet Napolitano with favoring gal pals for positions, says her chief of staff, Suzanne Barr, engaged in numerous acts of sexually offensive behavior to humiliate and intimidate male employees. This is from Washington. It's a veteran U.S. law enforcement official has filed a blockbuster discrimination lawsuit against Homeland Security uh, Secretary Janet Napolitano. Charging, she pushed him aside to make way for a less qualified woman who has, uh, quotes, uh, says enjoyed a long-standing relationship with the anti-terror chief. The woman, uh, Dora Shriro, was later appointed by Mayor Bloomberg as commissioner of the City Department of Correction, a post she still holds. The court papers also alleged that Suzanne Barr, Napolitano's chief of staff at Immigration and Customs Enforcement, has engaged in numerous acts of sexually offensive behaviour intended to humiliate and intimidate male employees. Well, there are a bunch, once you put a bunch of these folks, and that's what they do. You know, Barr's alleged acts, uh, including calling one man in his hotel room and screaming at him that she wanted to do something with his something in, in the back of her throat. Uh, and that was in the mainstream, it's been in the mainstream too. And so it says, um, the suit was filed by James T. Hayes, Jr., Special Agent in Charge of New York City Investigations for Immigration and Customs Enforcement. He began his career with the feds as a Border Patrol agent in 1995, formerly served as Director of ICE, Detention and Removal Operations in Washington, D.C., where he oversaw about 8,500 workers and a $2.5 billion budget. So he was no low-down guys up there. But Hayes says he was demoted following President Obama's election and the appointment of Napolitano, the former Arizona governor, to head Homeland Security. This is in court papers filed at Washington Federal Court. Hayes said Shriro, who previously served as a director of the Arizona Department of Corrections at Napolitano, was named a special advisor to Napolitano on detention and removal operations in February 2009 and began to replace him at DHS and ICE meetings. It says she was not qualified for the position because of her lack of federal law enforcement experience. Uh, Shiro did have experience, however, working with Secretary Napolitano, and and she enjoyed the long-standing relationship with the Secretary. The suit doesn't detail the nature of the relationship. During her 2002 Gubernational Campaign, Napolitano Napolitano publicly denied rumours that she was a lesbian. In a 2009 interview, she said, I just happen not to be married. When asked at the time if she was seeing anybody new, she answered, yes, my staff. Hayes' suit says that when it became clear he was going to be removed from his post, he felt he was being targeted because of his gender. He charges that in April and May, uh, ICE chief of Star Bar removed entire contents. Listen to this. the Entire contents of the offices of three male employees, including nameplates, computers, and telephones, to the men's bathroom at the ICE headquarters. So they had to work in the bathroom, in their desks. But... There was, and the folk were still going out to the bathroom, right, doing their stuff. Barr also created a frat house type atmosphere that is targeted to humiliate and intimidate male employees. In addition, so you understand there are folk who hate, and these folk tend to truly are, they are haters, these folk. So just chips in their shoulders beyond that. In addition to the alleged a telephone call, Barr literally uh, covertly took an ice Blackberry device assigned to a male special agent in charge And sent a Blackberry messenger, uh, messenger message to his female supervisor Indicating that the male employee had a crush on the female supervisor and fantasized about her Further, Barb uh, promoted and otherwise rewarded those male employees who played along with her sexually charged games The suit says, understand, these people are obsessed with sex Way beyond the average people Obsessed with it And they can't keep it out of the workplace so anyway, that's going ahead with that one. And even even uh, Geraldo came up with that. Geraldo Rivera addresses lesbian rumours about Janet O'Panitano and Homeland Security Secretary, it says here. And he raised the concerns about the lesbian cabal and same-sex takeover at the Department of Homeland Security and went further Monday encouraging DHS and its head, Homeland Security Janet O'Panitano, to tell the people who they are. And I'll put these links up tonight as well for those who want to know. And this article, too, is <laughs> from the LGBT. Uh, it's from one of their, their, their articles here. Rights advocates are welcoming news that a surgical penis construction procedure for, it says, for transgender men will be paid for by public medical insurance in British Columbia. It's a priority, obviously, isn't it? And it says for transgender men. Now, it's really for women who want to have a, a penis constructed because they want to pretend they're men, you see. Because they're really lesbians, and it will help them in a lesbian endeavor, you understand. Anyways, phalloplasty will be covered under the medical services plan for up to five people each year, the provincial ministry of health has confirmed. After previously rejecting calls to provide such coverage, the ministry decided to make a the change following a review this year of recent medical literature on the procedure and it goes on and on and on about their mental health and how it will really improve and all that kind of stuff. Another article put up tonight too is called Too Easy, ex-drone operator on watching civilians die. It says James Jeffrey served as an officer in the British Army in both Iraq and Afghanistan. In 2009, he helped guide drones flying over Helmand province, where he had to make life-and-death decisions about whether to engage the enemy. Speaking to Orla Guerin, the BBC's correspondent in Pakistan, he describes how he almost ordered a drone attack on a suspected militant thought to be planting an improvised explosive device. At the last minute, the strike was cancelled when he realised a potential enemy could see and the monitor was in fact a child playing. Mr Jeffrey also talked about witnessing via video link from a fighter jet A missile strike on Taliban targets and built up areas that left several civilians dead. Having now left the military and living in the U.S., Mr. Jeffrey warns that while drones are a precise and effective weapon, they've also made it too easy to kill. Too easy to kill. And isn't that the truth? Mind you, Mr. Jones was probably brought up too with video games and Xboxes and, and all that. So they're already primed for this kind of stuff, you understand. They're already primed for it. And this article, too, says um, 11 dead, thousands in danger amid the spreading meningitis outbreak that's caused by that corticosteroid, which uh, they've been injecting into folk for their uh, inflammation of their spine, for arthritis, and so on. A deadly meningitis outbreak has left 11 dead, 119 infected, and up to 13,000 at risk, and is taking its toll across the U.S., with symptoms showing up weeks after exposure, Many more patients are expected to get sick. The meningitis tainted steroid shots were dispersed to healthcare centers across 23 US states and administered to about 13,000 patients who requested treatment for back pain, according to the Center for Disease Control and Prevention. But the shots have cost many of their lives. And it gives you an example of a guy and his wife who went for the shots and his wife died. Uh, after responding to medication, his, his wife, uh, her spirits lifted. She spent her time Skyping with her grandsons in the hospital, but then shortly thereafter she suffered a stroke and was removed from life support. The advise me to watch for the symptoms, he says. He's just one of thousands watching the clock, waiting and hoping not to acquire any signs of the illness. The outbreak has been linked to the New England uh, Compounding Centre, Inc., which is one of the thousands of pharmacies that repackage or recombines medication. The Food and Drug Administration has no power to regulate compounded medications made at pharmacies like the one that dispersed the meningitis-tainted steroid shots. Lawmakers claim the health crisis is demonstrating the need for a stronger FDA regulation's <laughs> That's for a joke. FDA has stacked the guys from, from, from big pharma. And compounding pharmacies often produce cheaper medications. We'll have to put them out of business too, I suppose. It says the NECC had shipped 17,676 vials of the steroid methylene acetate, which contained the meningitis, to 76 healthcare facilities from July through September. Last week, it recalled all the vials at the Galacticus and voluntary shut down its services. So they'll be looking into it, but it just shows you uh, that uh, we're all trained to automatically just take medicines when it's prescribed, and, and of course it doesn't work out that way, and it's not like the movies. In Canada, the ex-chief of the First Nations Indians Association will be used as pawns, it says, for former chief to meet Iranian leaders. So they should spin off the bat from the mainstream media because this ex-chief of the First Nations Indians, Canadian Indians, uh is going to go over to see the Iranian leaders. So it's going to be used as pawn. That's a that's, that's part you're supposed to remember. You see, right off the bat. It's, it's very open, our, our media in Canada here, you see. And it says, um, the former First Nations chief said he will meet with the Iranian regime in Tehran next week as part of an exploratory mission to discuss resource development and human rights abuses in Canada, sparking widespread condemnation and concerns about Iran's intentions. And um, what they do is they actually uh, <laughs> they actually have the opposing person here is Nazan in his Afshin Jam, Who's married to the, the, I think it's the Chief of Defence for Canada. She's from Iran. And she's an activist to get all to demolish the present, the present uh, system in Iran. But it says, but anyway, it says, what do you, you say to concerns that the regime will enlist First Nations to perpetrate uh, violence against Canada? Nelson says, it's a big, pretty big stretch. We, we have First Nations people. When will we ever bombed anything, he says, the worst we've ever done is make the white man late for lunch when we do our protest in the city street. Some 59 years old, if I was going to bomb something, I would have bombed a long time ago. Peter Mackay's wife, as the Iranian woman, is constantly pushing the conservative agenda and talking about human rights violations. Uh, Iranian Canadians might not like the Iranian government, but does that mean they support the deaths of millions of their people because of the economic sanctions? And as to this, this sanction stuff, it's the same with Iraqis. I mean, it'd be the same as you. Just put yourself in the same boat if some other country was much bigger and larger and you were down a little bit on, on, the, on the totem pole uh, and he put sanctions on you, the millions of you would die. What could you get? How could you get a government out of it? How, what could you do about it? Nothing. So starving the population is, is ridiculous. But anyway, I'll put this link up tonight and he talks about uh, the fact that uh, he's pushing for... And it's true enough, have, have any of these guys that he's talking about, is Mackay and his wife ever gone into an Indian reserve and looked around there in Canada for human rights and abuses and all the rest of it. See, everything is a farce and and, and hypocritical, isn't it? Such hypocrites. As we pretend that we've got democracy. What is democracy? What is democracy? Tell me what democracy is. You can't own your house. They'll tax it from you. If you can't afford that, you're out. You do what you're told. You're told not to speak about certain topics in a free society. Well, obviously, they shouldn't call us a free society if you can't talk about certain things. Obviously. i also put this article up tonight, too, as an article from Slate magazine. And it says, how can we ban hate speech against Jews, it says, while defending mockery of Muslims. It's a good article. And it says what have these laws produced? It says look at the convictions upheld or accepted by the European Court of Human Rights. And it says four Swedes who distribute leaflets that called homosexuality de- sexuality deviant and morally destructive, and blamed it for uh, for AIDS. So an Englishman who displayed in his window nine a nine eleven poster proclaiming Islam out of Britain. A Turk who published two letters from readers angry at the government's treatment of Kurds a Frenchman who wrote an article disputing the possibility of poison gas technology at Nazi concentration camp. Look at the defendants rescued by the courts, a Dane convicted of aiding and abetting the dissemination of racist remarks for making a documentary in which three people made abusive and derogatory remarks about immigrants and ethnic groups, a man convicted of openly inciting the population to hatred in Turkey by criticising secular and democratic principles and openly calling for the introduction of Sharia law. It goes through a whole list of them that end up in courts, you see. And it says, and then you go into the, into the case of a Frenchman who sought free speech protection under Article 10 of the European Convention of Human Rights. And it says, "Denis Leroy is a cartoonist. One of his drawings representing an attack on the World Trade Center was published in a Basque weekly newspaper with a caption which read, We have all dreamt of it. Hamas did it. Having been sentenced to payment of a fine for condoning terrorism, Mr. Leroy argued that his freedom of expression had been infringed. The court considered that uh, through his work, the applicant had glorified the violent destruction of American imperialism, expressed moral support for the perpetrators of the attacks of 11 September, and commented approvingly on the violence perpetrated against thousands of civilians and diminished the dignity of the victims. And... um, this is how can you justify uh, prosecuting cases like these while defending cartoonists and video makers who ridicule Muhammad? And that's true. How can we sit here in other countries and watch all these, this vilification of Muhammad? And we do. We're all getting conditioned to do it. You're always taught to hate an enemy, understand? You must demonize an enemy. Look at all, you can get up on the website and look at all the the cartoons they brought out for World War II and all the posters, propaganda posters. You see Japanese with buck teeth and big glasses and that's how they portrayed them all. And Germans, they were just like robots and big helmets and and really just like clones of each other. Demonize the enemy. I'll put up tonight too, that that one i put up many times before to do with real bad Arabs and how Hollywood's been training you to hate Arabs for over 40 years Benet says the principle born out of the wretched record of hate speech prosecutions is worth defending but first we have to live up to it it says and it gives a whole bunch of uh, good information on it and shows you how much uh, you cannot be hypocritical either there's no hate speech laws or everybody goes under hate speech laws that's, that's it that's fairness Back with more after this. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix in this article 2 is to do with, with Iran as well. It says, In the Washington Post today, Richard Cohen expresses surprise that Iranian President Mahmoud Ahmadinejad is starting to make some sense. And wax rationally, Cohen specifically cites a statement from the Iranian President last week when he said, Let's even imagine that we have an atomic weapon, a nuclear weapon. What would we do with it? What intelligent person would fight 5,000 American bombs with one bomb? Cohen's surprise notwithstanding, numerous Iranian leaders, including Ahmadinejad, have long made the same point, and it's a point so obvious it should not even need to be made. No rational person takes seriously the claim that Iran, even if it did obtain a nuclear weapon, would commit instant and guaranteed national suicide by using it to attack a nation as a huge nuclear stockpile, which happens to include both the US and Israel. One can locate nothing in the action of the Iran's regime that even suggests irrationality on that level, let alone suicidal impulses. That Iran will use its nuclear weapons against the US and Israel is a rather obviously the centerpiece of the fear-mongering campaign against Iran to build popular support for threats to launch an aggressive attack in order to prevent them from acquiring that weapon. So what then is the real reason that so many people in both the US and Israeli governments are so desperate to stop Iranian proliferation? Every now and then they reveal the real reason. Iranian nuclear weapons would prevent the US from attacking Iran at will. (laughs) And that is what is intolerable. I'll say that again. Iranian nuclear weapons will prevent the U.S. from attacking Iran at will, and that is what is intolerable. The latest person to unwittingly reveal the real reason for viewing an Iranian nuclear capacity as unacceptable was GOP Senator Lindsey Graham, one of the U.S.'s most reliable and bloodthirsty warmongers. On Monday, Graham spoke in North Augusta, South Carolina, and was asked about the way in which sanctions were harming ordinary Iranians. Eamon Hossam Fadil was president and recorded the exchange. Answering that question, Graham praised President Obama for threatening Iran with war over nuclear weapons and decreed that the Iranian people should be willing to suffer now for a better future. And then, invoking the trite neocon script that is hauled out whenever new wars are being justified, analogized Iranian nukes to Hitler in the 1930s. We're way beyond Hitler folks. But in the middle of his answer, he explained the real reason Iranian nuclear weapons should be feared. They have two goals. One, uh, regime survival. The best way for the regime survival in their mind is having a nuclear weapon, because when you have a nuclear weapon, nobody attacks you. Graham added that the second regime goal is influence that people listen to you when you have a nuclear weapon. In other words, we cannot let Iran acquire nuclear weapons because if they get them, we can no longer attack them when we want to and can no longer bully them in their own region. Graham's answer is consistent consistent with what various American policy elites have said over the years about America's enemies generally, and Iran specifically, the true threat of nuclear proliferation is that it can deter, and that's what it's called nuclear deterrence, that's why they call it that. American aggression. Thomas Donnelly of the American Enterprise Institute and the New American Century Project has long been crystal clear that this is the real reason for opposing Iranian nuclear capability. And he said, this is what he sent from this, this Thomas Donnelly. When their missiles are chipped with warheads carrying nuclear biological chemical weapons, even weak regional powers have a credible deterrent regardless of the balance of conventional forces. In the post-Cold War era, America and its allies, rather than the Soviet Union, have become the primary objects of deterrence, and it's states like Iraq, Iran, and North Korea who most wish to develop deterrent capabilities. And he added the she deterrent to American action as a functioning nuclear arsenal. So... Uh, that's what's really, uh, it's about. It's about that too and plunder and standardizing them all, all the countries across here into the same private central banking system under the Bank for International Settlements and getting them all in debt uh, so that the rich guys of the world can plunder it like they've done with the rest. That's what's about. From Hamish Mussel from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God, or your God's goal with you.